Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Jen. This is week episode seven of the Mindfulness Movement and Exercise podcast. And today we're going to be talking about a commonly taught exercise, the caustic squat. Don't worry. I promise this relates back to mindfulness and movement as well as exercise. But first, let's week recap last week's session. So last week, I continued talking with Carrie Orko, and we discussed a number of things, including practice and play and the idea of learning. One of the things Carrie said, and I'm paraphrasing, was that everything that we teach was made up by someone. And if you're not a coach or a teacher and you're listening to this, everything that you, every exercise you are taught was made up by someone. So think about that for a second. Think about some of the commonly taught exercises you've been exposed to. Think about the way in which they are commonly taught. Think about some of the common instructions you hear surrounding the exercises. And then ask yourself, what would those same movements look like if they were taught a different way? What happens if we bend the rules? Go ahead and try this. Come into a comfortable seated position. And you want to be sitting on a surface so that you can feel your pelvis against the surface. And all I want you to do is rock from one side of your pelvis to the other. Now, as you rock, let your head tilt the direction of the rocket. And then maybe let your head tilt the other way. Have to think about this. Ooh, that feels awkward. <laughs> then go back to letting your tilt your head tilt the way that feels natural. And stop tilting the head, just rock through the pelvis, and then add in the ribs. Let your ribs tilt towards the edge of the pelvis that's lifting away from the chair. Maybe add in your head. Remove the head. Remove the ribs. And then just find a comfortable seated position. And take a moment to observe the sense of your pelvis against whatever surface you're on. And as you observe the sense of your pelvis against whatever surface it's on, just observe the two sides of your pelvis, the left side and the right side. Observe whether you feel equal contact on the sides or if one side feels heavier or lighter. Don't try and change anything. You're just observing. And then let that go. 
So environments like this, where it's very low stress, there's nothing at stake. They're a great place and a great way to try on different movement hats, different movement techniques. See what you like, what you don't like. Like I really didn't want, really didn't like it when I tried to tilt my head the opposite way that felt natural. But maybe you really dug that and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Now, from a movement context where the movement is, for lack of a better word, higher stakes, like there's a little more stress involved, there's a little more arousal involved, then there's a chance that you're going to want to figure out which, which scenario of the movement best fits that situation. And what I mean by that is maybe being all loosey-goosey with the head isn't a good idea if you are spinning around a pole, for instance. Or maybe you're trying to do some sort of cartwheel trick. And if you're doing the cartwheel trick, you probably don't want a lot of tilting of the head. You're going to want the head to be a little more still, for instance, even though there's going to be this rotation that's occurring in the pelvis. That's, those are just examples off the top of my head. But conversely, maybe you're rolling around on the floor and you're doing some sort of ooey gooey movement and you want kind of that more relaxed noodley sensation. Or maybe you're doing a certain style of dance that allows a lot of freedom through the head or encourages a lot of freedom through the head for aesthetic purposes. So again, every movement context is going to have a different way or a different requirement for a specific movement. What else happened there? You focused your attention on how you were moving. Again, it was low stakes, but hopefully it was interesting enough that you could focus your attention. At the end of it, I asked you to observe the contact of your pelvis against the surface you were on. This is a an example of a very commonly taught mindfulness technique called uh, called body scan. The body scan. In a in a full body scan, you're lying on your back. You observe all kinds of contact points. You can get you can explore them a lot of different ways. It can take many many minutes. The whole point is to observe your physical self without any judgment. This activates a certain network in your brain called the salient network. And what's cool about this is when you activate the salient network in this way, it quiets internal noise. You can also activate the salient network in a way that increases internal noise. So depending upon where you're drawing attention, you can dial things up, you can dial things down. It's important to remember that when you start playing with some of these mindfulness techniques, when you start playing with some of these learning techniques, there'll be mistakes and there's nothing wrong with that. The power is in the reflection. What worked, what didn't? What do I wanna keep? What do I wanna throw out? And this brings us to today's episode. We are going to be discussing a commonly taught exercise called the Cossack Squat. 
how is it commonly taught? And I found an article on Healthline called How to Do a Cossack Squat, conveniently enough, that laid out these simple rules for how you should do a Cossack Squat. You assume the starting position by widening the stance of your legs. So your legs form a triangle with the ground. So imagine a really wide triangle. Your toes should be pointed straight ahead. Inhale and move your weight to your right leg, bending your right knee and sitting back as far as you can. Your left leg remains extended while your left foot rotates on your heel toe up. Your right heel should remain on the ground and your torso should be upright. Pause here, then exhale and push back up to the starting position. Inhale again and lower your weight into your left leg, repeating the above steps. So what, is this what does this look like when we get rid of a lot of these words? You're in a wide-legged position. You shift your weight over to the right. You let your right knee squat down, your right knee bend. You turn the left toes up towards the ceiling, and you are suddenly doing a Cossack squat. Now, something that is worth noting is they specifically say in here that the right heel should stay down. So whatever side you are squatting on, that heel stays down. This instruction was parroted multiple times. I looked at a whole bunch of different explanations of the Cossack squat. If your heels come off the floor, one article said, it's because you probably have a flexibility issue. But do you? So here's where things get really interesting when you start to look at different movements and why and how they're taught. So in a weight room setting, presumably the Cossack squat is being used for strength. But where did the Cossack squat actually come from? It comes from a dance called the Hopik, which is a Ukrainian folk dance that originated as a military dance in the 1600s. The Cossacks would come home from battle, and the Cossacks were this group that were in the Ukraine-Russian border. The men would celebrate through this improvised dance, and this improvised dance is spectacular. The improvised dance involves a lot of jumping. It involves a lot of squatting. It involves a lot of spins. It's fast speed. If you've ever seen a clip of men squatted down, kicking one leg forward than the other and turning and rotating and jumping, you're probably looking at something that is similar to a hopic dance. Hopic, the word, originates from the Ukrainian word hopity, which means jump or leap. And this particular dance eventually became known in Russia as the Russian squat dance. It's physically demanding. It's fast, too. If you pull, any, pull up any clips of it on YouTube, it's pretty mesmerizing what these men and women, because now women also perform this dance, are able to do. So ask yourself this. And again, this is the origin origination of this widely used exercise that is used in Western, in, in the US today. If one is performing a squat that requires fast transitions and spins, 
would they perform the squat with their heel or their heel down? So think about this. And if you're in a situation where you can actually try this, go ahead and try this. Come into a Cossack squat with your heel down. How easy is it going to be to transition from where you are to somewhere else? Will the transition be fast or slow? Now lift your heel up off the ground. Does the transition become any easier? Will you be able to transition faster or slower with your heel off the ground? More than likely, you're going to feel like you have more freedom to move with the heel lifted. But yet, the heel being lifted is considered a huge no-no within the rules of the way this squat is commonly taught. So we have a discrepancy. And why does this discrepancy matter? Well, here's the thing. If you're going to load your Cossack squat and you are using it specifically to work through a specific range of motion, you have this intention behind it that is very clear. You know what you're doing with it. The nature of the load is probably going to keep your heel down. This is the way a lot of, this is the way this works. If your intention for the movement is to play with range of motion and play with exploring where your body can go next, then it might make more sense to have the heel lifted. The intention behind the movement is what creates the framework from which we do the movement. And interestingly, I do caustics with my heel up. I don't do them weighted. I think it's more comfortable. I've also come across, just, just once, I've come across one transition in one of the modalities that I study where the heel up is encouraged because that's the only way you can transition from one, from the, from the caustic squat to the next phase of the movement. So this becomes interesting. Lifting the heel creates space, which gives you more freedom to move. Keeping the heel down reduces the space into which you can move. So again, if your goal is just to go side to side in the Cossack squat, then maybe the heel down is great. But if your goal is to move somewhere else, maybe exploring the heel up would be a beneficial thing. And I share all this because why do we need to have a right and a wrong way to move? Why do we need to imply that there is a right or a wrong way to move? Why can't we say for this specific task, there's going to be a more efficient way to do that task? This idea of understanding the intention relates back to Mindfulness, actually, because if it's more meaningful, if I understand the intention behind the movement, it has some and it has some sort of meaning to me. I am more likely to pay attention. 
It gives me a focal point. If I'm trying to learn something, and we've discussed learning quite a bit, but remember, one of the first thing that has to happen in order for you to learn, in order for a person to learn, is you need to be actively engaged with the subject matter and you need to be able to focus your attention. So if we want that for people, because we want them to be able to replicate the movement or we want them to be able to understand how to more deeply explore the movement, then clearly explaining the intention behind it can be really helpful. Again, if I'm learning the classic squat with the intention to transition somewhere else, lifting my heel creates space. I should try it both ways. I should see which way feels best in my body. And sometimes the way that creates space and gives me the most access isn't the way that's natural for me because I've been taught repeatedly to do things a different way. I've been taught, for instance, repeatedly that I should always keep my heels down whenever I'm performing any sort of squat. But again, ask yourself, why? What are my goals? What am I trying to accomplish? There are many different ways to view movement and exercise. Sometimes the goal is to simply teach and exercise with the purpose of strengthening. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes you can take that same movement and teach it with a different intention, and it can look a very different way. Or you can perform it with a different intention, and it can look a very different way. And this becomes interesting to me, this idea that we can connect the dots between what am I trying to do? This movement is familiar. Why is it familiar? What other, what other world did it come from? And how can I use maybe what I learned over in that other world and apply it and make me more successful? at the way I do it in this world. Or maybe you have to throw out the rules completely from the previous world that you learned it in and learn it in an entirely different way. Regardless, there's going to be a moment where you have to reconcile that maybe there is no right way or or exact way to do something. Having said that, as you gain more access to different movements and as you become more skilled at certain movements, you begin to perform them more automatically. This is part of the learning process. And as the movement becomes more automatic, it's really easy to no longer focus on it. It allows, it frees up space. There's a whole lot less noise on what your body is doing. It frees up space to focus on something else. But sometimes it's good to bring that attention back to that movement that you know so well and ask yourself, what happens if I try it like this? How does that change things? Your food for thought for the day.
Thank you so much, everybody, for joining me on this episode. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to hit me up. You can either write your comment in the chat situation or you can send me an email. All right. Thank you.